Tale Castle. Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Dorian Linsky. My guest today is the frontman of Newcastle-based band Maximo Park. Their 2005 debut, A Certain Trigger, which contains the certified banger, Apply Some Pressure, was nominated for the Mercury Prize, went gold, and they have since created one of the most consistent bodies of work of bands of that generation. Over the past decade, their songs have increasingly combined the personal with the political. Their seventh album, Nature Always Wins, is out on the 26th of February. Hi, Paul Smith. Nice to be here. How are you? All things considered... Not too bad. <laughs> well, the title, Nature Always Wins, it actually feels quite ominous in the context of the virus, but presumably this is not the pro-virus message that you are you are trying to send. It's not, but <laughs> it's certainly a realistic one if it, in relation to the virus. We'd already decided the title. We recorded it in isolation in our own bedrooms, and apart from Tom, our drummer, who went into a, a studio and didn't actually go into any contact with any other human being it felt like an extra affirmation of what the the title was about because initially it was drawn from the song child of the flatlands which is the last song on the record a bit of a freeform psychedelic for us odyssey through my billingham childhood a small town in the northeast where I, i grew up and that line nature always wins had just stuck in my head for a number of reasons, not just because it was that initial song was about the edgelands on the outskirts of town where industry meets the countryside and things get a bit overgrown and the nature fights back, but also the idea of our true nature revealing itself despite our best efforts to conceal it or our best intentions to do other other things, unfortunately or fortunately, our true nature en- ends up overwhelming us and and popping out of the the cracks and also because there's a kind of the, the, the sort of influence of parenthood here not not that this is uh full of songs like david bowie's kooks but you know in terms of sort of this idea of, of sort of your nature and 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 um you know sort of family sort of heritage and, and personality traits. oh yeah yeah i mean that's i've got a daughter who's four and a half now which encompasses the almost the entire time since our last record I've always written about things that I know and that are important to me. I I feel like that's a a pretty good start for a song. I feel like a lot of my favourite songwriters write about what they know as a kind of starting point for a song. And then, as with our songs, it kind of spreads out and branches away from that. But there was no way of me not writing about the birth of my daughter and the, the subsequent ups and downs. And it felt like, as a songwriter, the intensity of feeling that you have especially when things are going wrong, it's perfect fodder for a song or a a pop song. You know, pop songs are all about intensity of feeling. The trick was to make it accessible to all without it becoming bland and cliche-led and too universal. But, But I think, you know, our songs have always had that universal aspect, even, you know, the song that you mentioned in your intro, Apply Some Pressure, that idea of, what happens when you lose everything, you just start again, became very influential within our fan base. You know, people used to come up to me in the street and go, that song got me through so-and-so. You know, the rest of the song is about, you know, asking a, a girl to take her clothes off. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a, again, it's something quite specific and ridiculous. Um, or, and, 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 you know, it's about desire. It's about all sorts of different things. But there, there is that sort of window for anybody to get into it i'd like to think and that's that's the case with 
a lot of the songs on Nature Always Wins as well. There were sort of ideas about there was about austerity, refugees in the title track, the sort of Brexit mindset, if not the uh, specific protest, wasn't wasn't much on the trade deals. And you said to me at the time, I worried that some of the songs would be irrelevant by the time the record came out. That doesn't seem <laughs> to be the case, you know, because you'd started writing them before uh, June 2016. And I wonder whether that that I mean, I suppose is I don't know if it's a more general story, but it certainly seems to be the story of the last decade. And I suppose some of these songs here is that you think they're very specific and they're about this one period in time, and yet they they sort of resonate later. And National Health, which came out in 2012, if you yeah. release an album called The National Health now, people would just <laughs> think, well, that's very topical. That's too topical. You've you've made an album about you know yeah. <laughs> about a pandemic so has that been your sort of experience that when you when you're writing songs that that seem to sort of come from a particular event or a particular period and actually they have a whole different meaning two three years later yeah absolutely i think a lot of people will think that this some of this record has been written in lockdown and about the pandemic and that's totally fine it, because you know i want people to to associate with it and and invest deeper meaning in our songs. Uh, you know, I've spoken about it before, you know, and, and again, in, in your intro, you mentioned the idea of consistency and writing songs and feeling like there's something timeless about them is, you know, that is something that we do. It's not sexy. It's not, <laughs> it's just something that I believe in, you know, bands that I love, like the, the go-betweens or the Blue Nile, you know, there's a kind of subtlety and a kind of consistency and people can kind of dip in and out of their catalogue. But if you were to pick up a song or an album on a given day that you haven't listened to in a while or that you, you didn't really pay that much attention to at the time for whatever reason, you know, people's lives are busy and you, you, you keep putting out records and hoping everybody loves them exactly the same, but you know that that's impossible Whenever I do that with those kind of bands, you know, I go, wow, I wish I'd listened to that more. And then you hammer that song, you know, the production might not have been to your taste. And then you listen to it years later and it's just the, the song is king. You know, a song like Bachelor Kisses by the, the Go-Betweens is one of those songs for me. It's kind of a bit syrupy in the production department, but it, the song itself is timeless and it means so much to me. But, it, you know, if I was to say, what does it sound like? I'd probably say listen with caution to to people with a slightly more cutting edge taste. Um, and so, yeah, with our with our own songs, I, I believe in that idea of of making something timeless. And I do think about the kind of balance of how much it is in there that's from my own life and from the time that you're in. And I try and tap into something that's a little bit more universal. And and you know, you're not going to get it right every time, but that is that is my aim. Well, can you tell me about Why Must a Building Burn, which I suppose is the one which, which, which does seem, I suppose, like the most direct reference to uh, to real event, you know, the Grenfell fire, but but is, you know, is, is about other things as well. So tell me about the, the, the evolution of that. I would never have thought I'm going to sit down and write a song about the Grenfell fire. And I, I would have never thought that necessarily that this song would have made it to our record when I when I first started writing it in my notebook. It's kind of a snapshot song, and because because of the title, I I know that people will get the reference and will listen to the rest of the song with Grenfell in mind. In all probability, we were due to do a, a BBC session in London the morning after the fire, and you know those those kind of images of of the the building will remain ingrained on people's minds who were watching the news 
in the aftermath. You know, the, the song starts off with the with, uh, talking about, uh, do you need a flag to know who you are? It's not just the idea of flag waving and the nationalism. It's also about kind of being proud of where you are and and perhaps some of those people who are waving the flags are attacking the wrong people, but they, they do have genuine complaints about the, their social conditions. And then you apply that to the, to the area that Grenfell is, is in and the people who lived in the flats, people were, who lived in the, in, the, in the flats were really proud of where they came from. There was a big you know, community feeling which has gone on with the people who are now fighting for justice for, for Grenfell. And so, yeah, I wanted to kind of talk about that. You know, you might have, might have a flag in your window from where you're from to remember where it is. And just that idea, it's, it's kind of asking the question, do, what do we need to develop our own identities? And so the rest of the song, again, kind of it talks about the, the, the time and the place and the idea of, of, of loss. Around the same time, I was thinking about Nick Alexander, who used to be a merch seller for our band and he was killed in the Bataclan attack. And I remember seeing his picture on Channel 4 News in the, the kind of grid of people who had lost their lives and just thinking, this can't be true. You know, this is, this is you know, hoping that somebody would tell you that, that it wasn't true, that a mistake had been made. And, you know, when you see the, the grid of people of 72 people who've lost their lives on the TV, it's so heavy and hard hitting but imagine if you saw somebody you knew in that grid of people. This didn't need to happen. You know, somewhere along the line, this didn't need to happen. And the inquiry will hopefully give a little bit more of an insight to who, who, who's responsible. But this is it. It talks about the idea of power, which, go, which links back to the last album and the idea that people in power are, are often not as responsible as they need to be. Um, and... You know, whether that's somebody who works for a cladding company who's trying to sell their product to somebody um, without thinking about the potential ramifications of that, or whether it's, you know, people not listening to residents who have valid safety concerns. It goes from the, the micro out into these these macro events. And yeah, I just wanted to kind of, I wanted to write about it. And thankfully, the, you know, the music is quite uplifting and it gives you this kind of strange strange quality of, of kind of looking sort of from above at life a kind of little snapshot of, of what's going on hopefully yeah because i mean actually i think the the progress of the inquiry the, the sacrifice inquiry has been one of the um the sort of slightly lost stories in the past year for obvious reasons uh, mm-hmm. that we've had other things to concentrate on but uh the new statesman has actually done some quite good coverage and and some and some really shocking stuff coming out about basically kind of uh you know, rigging the testing for the cladding and using a different kind of material than you were actually going to use in the real yeah. thing. And I feel like, you know, when when these when the inquiry comes out, we're actually going to be thinking about this far more than than obviously we, we have time to at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I suppose another one thing I'm thinking that's come out of the the Brexit era is this sort of sense of kind of you know regional differences, regional division and also kind of like shifting ties in in your part of the country um and you you were sort of born in stockton was it that correct yeah stockton yeah, was on, on tees uh, <laughs> and in the last election i noticed stockton north narrowly stayed labor uh but stockton south sort of switched to the tories uh and this was a kind of a similar kind of trend was happening not obviously in the big big cities but in the sort of smaller towns all around there was that and some people were kind of a bit, you know, rather sort of shocked by that, you know, these sort of heartlands and, you know, 
seats that you were once held by Tony Blair, Peter Mandelson, and so on. Did it surprise you, or did you think that that was part of it, some of this sort of bigger movement that had been happening? You know, it, certainly since Brexit, but also before. Um, nothing shocks me anymore. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> um, I came in last night at the time of recording this. I'm sure this, that you know, this this will go out whenever it goes out. But the, as we were recording it last night, loads of people invaded the Capitol in Washington. And I came in, and my wife, my wife was glued to the TV. I'd just been shooting a video for our new song in uh, in Manchester, and didn't really want to be there, but it had already been organised, and blah blah blah. And I came in and, and I just, you know, I just thought this doesn't really surprise me. You know, it kind of surprises me maybe that they they got as far as they did, but it doesn't surprise me because the seeds have been sown, you know, and it's the same the same in our country that the, the seeds have been sown for that kind of discontent and the kind of the, the narratives that have been fed to people. We live in quite a conservative country. You know, if you look at how many times Labour has actually been in power across the last, you know, 100 years or whatever, you know, you have to deal with that reality. You have to understand that people need convincing that there, there are different ways to do things. Otherwise, they will go with the, the kind of status quo. And the status quo in our country is, you know, the party of law and order, the party of good economics. And those are the things that you've got to try and dismantle if you're going to um, have a more left-leaning government, and and I think people are, don't really like the way that their their lives have gone in, <laughs> in poverty-stricken areas, and they've been looking for all sorts of different scapegoats. You know, for a long time, it's been immigrants, and Brexit will solve all of your ills. We'll become our own country. We're not really our own country, which was which was amusing when France and all sorts of other countries started banning. British people coming across the uh, the channel and on the news on the BBC it was saying well these are all sovereign countries so they can they can do what they want it's nothing to do with the EU and you know you just sat at home kind of groaning and going there it is there's that sovereignty that we already had people do you know people who's got the time to watch the news at 10 who's got the time to pick up a newspaper apart from you know something something that will amuse them on the way to a grim job, you know, <laughs> life is, life is hard, you know, having, uh, becoming a parent recently, you know, like the, the idea of, of time and how much time you've got to, to commit to understanding the issues when, when your best mate from school's putting something on, on Facebook that says that there's, you know, immigrants are doing this and that to, to, to people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's endless, you know, that kind, that kind of stream has been coming for so long and it doesn't yeah it doesn't surprise me at all but it's it, it makes me a bit sad because I, I i feel like the conservatives are not the not the people to be solving your problems in stockton south well, i suppose the recent clash uh, that we've had between between sort of the government in london and and sort of andy burnham and, and the other sort of uh mayors in the seems to have exposed this regional divide on top of all the kind of divides between the nations that have suddenly been exposed. But I wonder if you feel like perhaps that, that, that this sort of crisis will lead to a kind of, uh, you know, a better, a sort of more thoughtful distribution of uh, a sort of power across the country and across the regions. And that, that maybe that these parts of the country that feel very ignored and left behind may, may be able to get sort of more, um, a better deal 
and maybe a sort of strongest sense of of identity out of all of this? Uh, potentially. This is the thing. Um, in the recent talks about levelling up, I've looked at the figures and the northeast has come out as the, the lowest amount of um, distributions for, for example, the film industry and independent um, cinemas, mainstream cinemas. The idea that people will 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 get behind this idea of a kind of devolved country is is well we, we, it didn't really work out last time i think john prescott was was behind it and had argued for for more regional assemblies and the northeast assembly was rejected people are very skeptical of of change and very skeptical that anything will get done so they would rather accept things as they are than to to take the risk of of change so I think I would be hopeful that that could be the case, that people would have more power over their own resources and, and the resources would be distributed equally. But, you know, I, I, even things like the HS2, the high-speed rail network, it's, it only goes up to, I think, York, and uh, that that completely excludes the whole of the northeast. I've been on plenty of Transpennine Expresses rumbling through Huddersfield and Dewsbury <laughs> on my way to Manchester. And, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those things, you know, I, I don't I don't want to be the guy, the northeast guy with the chip on his shoulder. But I also feel like, you know, it is it is true. And it's a, it's very much the northwest is seen as the north. Um, there's that Paul Morley book and it's called The North and it's basically about Manchester, which made me laugh. Um, you know, and, and again, I don't, I, this is the thing I, you know, I love the Northwest and a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my musical influences have come out of there. The, there's this, this little place up in the, up in the Northeast where there's, you know, Middlesbrough and Sunderland and Newcastle and, um, we're quite close to the border, but we're not in it yet. So it does feel like, you know, if you and, and again, statistically speaking, the, the the economically the worst places to live are you know Hartlepool and Middlesbrough and Stockton, and it's yeah, it's it, it, yeah. it would take yeah. a lot of leveling up to actually level up. I have to say, yeah, we'll see. Um, and finally, I went to I was looking at your uh, website uh, because I'm a professional journalist who does research, um, and I saw that you've got live shows sort of booked sort of a tour from July and there's some sort of warm-ups in February still on the site at the moment in, in, in 2021. There's a lot to talk about, including the Parliamentary Select Committee, about whether live music is going to be able to sort of, how it's going to bounce back. And this extends from like, you know, massive festival like Glastonbury to venues in towns that don't have anything, any other venues, you know, that crucial kind of music venue in a, in a small town, which is the only sort of place where, say, a new band can, uh, could come up or it, you know, a local band. Do you, are you confident that these, that, that this can bounce back after what will have been, I don't know, at, at least a year's sort of freeze? I think it'll be really difficult. I think a lot of the venues that you're talking about have expressed their concerns and have said, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle to stay a, a viable option. And I think that, you know, there has been some help. I think the local one of our local venues in the Oosburn Valley in Newcastle, the Clooney, um, got a bit of funding to help them through this. And, you know, from a purely economic point of view, you know, the live music industry is is worth a lot to the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, whether he knows it or not. Therefore, you would like to think it would be supported if there's enough noise about it and there's, you know, a lot of 
big music fans out there who would would get on the bandwagon were were it to happen that you know people can get together and make it known that that needs to be happening but it's just about whether whether that can be organized properly i would say we'll find out at the end of this year just how much it's kind of decimated the the sort of grassroots music venues and you know those those places are like community really you know that's 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 how people grow up as as musicians you know you go through all of that people go to each other's gigs i've known the guys from field music sunderland band for years and you know we still collaborate on records and do little live things together and just have a laugh and make our lives better and to think that those those venues won't be there um until until you know again another sort of diy thing starts off it's about kind of covering everything really you know people will always get on with things and and you know make things happen but it's about those kind of venues where there's 200 capacity or 500 capacity you know all the different levels that people are at that's what i i'm concerned about you need a kind of broad look at it and and the same with the festivals you know it needs financial support over this this period because it will be the the last thing that comes back into norm normality if you want to if you want to call it normality you know there'll be a lot of regulations and hand washing and all sorts of little things but it's it's essentially people crammed together having a having a good time and getting sweaty so that is <laughs> going to be a, a difficult one to to put back into place yeah. I think. no it really struck me i think uh, you know a few months ago that the thing that that, that had been such a huge part of my life since the age of you know 14 15 or whatever was going to be the last thing to come back it was literally the most uh virus spreading activity <laughs> possible which was kind of depressing and i thought okay this is going to be in this for the long haul yeah I, I, that, that that struck me very early on <laughs> unfortunately i thought this is good you know this is going to be a long hard slog in in many ways well thank you so much for joining me paul smith thanks thanks dorian Nice talking to you. Nature Always Wins by Maximo Park is released on 26th of February on Prolifica Inc. We started the podcast with a clip from Child of the Flatlands, and we're going to play out with a bit of baby sleep. Paul, just tell us quickly something about this track. Well, we wanted to write the poppiest song that we possibly could about sleep deprivation. And yes, this is this could be anybody's baby, but when it comes to me specifically, this is about my baby keeping me up in the middle of the night and walking around shopping malls in a trance-like state and thinking that I'm in the middle of an NBA basketball game while I'm on my couch. It may appall you to know, but the mall is the only place I go. So much choice and restriction. You don't know what you've been missing. Same channel on my TV. The talking heads just can't agree. What does the modern world 